Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, with nationally known gerontologist Carol Zernio and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron. This program provides health, wellness, and other information for caregivers who are vital to the health and well-being of so many people across our country. Now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you very much, and welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, and our co-host Carol Zerniel is joining us as well. We'll explain the new technology that we are playing with today. Carol is the co-host of this show, serves as the executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation, and is known as uh, one of the uh, leaders in terms of dealing with seniors across this country, courtesy of Next Avenue. We talk with Carol every week about issues involving caregivers, their lives, seniors, loved ones, and it turns out to be, uh, for many people, a very difficult road to walk. Carol, welcome, and we're using technology that uh, brings you from a remote location right through our little broadcast board, and nice to see you, uh, at least hear you. At least hear my voice. You know, I I heard the music start, and I thought I was going to cry. This is my (laughs) first time to be on the show since uh, we all started working remotely for COVID-19. And so it's really nice to be back. Well, not only is it great to be back, you have literally been on the COVID Express doing work uh, with WellMed and the Charitable Foundation. And and before we bring our very special guest on, because it ties directly uh, into what J.W. Freiburg wants to talk about, uh, talking about loneliness and how that affects people. What you have been doing with the Charitable Foundation literally is bringing food and whatever folks need uh, to seniors and, and others who are homebound, can't get out, and are alone and lonely. That That's absolutely correct. You know, so many um, people are, especially older persons, we don't want them to go out. You know, our well-med patients, our physicians tell our patients, stay at home, don't go out. Uh, what's going on politically is not what's going on in the public health world. And health-wise, staying home is the safest bet uh, for people who are 60 and over. Uh, and the caregivers also who are living with those people 60 and over. So we've um, provided over 2,000 bags of groceries uh, to people that um, have not been able to get out and get their food. And what uh, one of your colleagues, Brittany Pratt, tells me is that list keeps growing more and more. Well, it is. And, and you know, there's so many organizations that I give my hats off to our local food banks, uh, who in every city, um, to our Meals on Wheels programs. Uh, there are so Catholic charities, so many organizations who are out there on the front lines trying to help people who are desperate for food get the food that they need. And how do you find the ones who need that help? Well, we, you know, for, for us, uh, the clinics refer, the social workers refer, our caregiver specialists refer, our senior center directors refer. We've actually, we're actually providing over 6,000 drive-by meals at lunchtime at our WellMed Charitable Foundation senior centers. Wow. Every week, over 6,000 drive-by meals. So the line goes right by the center and they put the food they, into the car. No human to human right. contact, really. That's right. You know, and they get, they get the meals. Sometimes it's meals enough for a few days. They get an activity book. And then we're also calling, you know, WellMed is calling all the patients. We're calling all our senior center members, all of our caregivers, uh, because we don't want them to be socially isolated. 
Well, that's a good opportunity to bring our special guest on, J.W. Freiberg. Terry has a doctorate degree and also is a lawyer, has a J.D. degree. His book, Surrounded by Others uh, and Yet So Alone, is available as of June through Amazon and elsewhere. And Dr. Freiberg, welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air. Well, thank you very much. Interesting to hear Carol talk about uh, in, in the midst of this virus crisis, uh, trying to provide food and supplies for people. Uh, you, in, in your work, have gotten very interested in loneliness. What attracted you to that? Well, I was uh, I practiced law at the crossroads of law and psychiatry, having both degrees. And, and uh, that meant I was in a law firm, but I got calls from mental health professionals of all three licensings, and they would talk to me about what was going on with their patients because they needed a legal consult. But what happened over the 30-some-odd years that I've done this is the topic of loneliness began to come up, say, 20 years ago, and has come up at a fierce rate of COVID-19 kind of, kind of hockey stick rate. Um, today, um, 35% of adults in the United States self-identify as chronically lonely. We really have a problem there. Now, how do you know that? We do it through the UCLA Loneliness Scale. It's a, fa- a fabulously valid and reliable set of 20 questions. Um, you can find it on a, my website, thelonelinessbooks.com. And if you answer that questionnaire, you'll see pretty quickly whether or not you're connected strongly, and, and emotionally well-connected to people in your lives, or whether they're real problems in your relationships. And, and as you look at folks who are lonely, uh, we have a uh, uh, psychologist who joins us from time to time, Dr. Jamie Heisman, who talks about uh, how loneliness really is the killer for so many people. Yes, indeed. Uh, Dr. John uh, Cacioppo, a uh, recently deceased uh, professor at University of Chicago, his life's work, uh, and his co- many colleagues there, was on the lethality of loneliness. Loneliness increases your morbidity and shortens your life. Increasing your morbidity means all of the major illness groups are worsened if you're a disconnected, sad and lonely person, and of course, the fact that this shortens your life is, is um, not hard to understand or believe. Now stay with well, me. Well, that's why we. That, I'm no, I was just going to let. No, that's fine. This is the new normal for Carol and I uh, working together as co-hosts, but not being able to see each other. But I have a fix for that for the next show. J.W. Freiberg is with us. He's got a, a doctorate degree, a psychologist, and a J.D. degree in law. And you hear him on Caregiver SOS on air right now on nine thirty a.m. The answer, Carol. Hey, sorry. So, I mean, what we hear is that loneliness is the new smoking, and that was pre-COVID. So I can only imagine how much, how many more people are experiencing loneliness on new levels when it was already, we were in crisis mode before COVID hit. You have to be correct. We don't have the data yet, obviously. This is brand new, but you're absolutely correct. Uh, Vivek Murthy, he was the 19th Surgeon General of the United States um, under uh, President Obama. He referred to loneliness as the new epidemic. Um, ironic he should use that word before a uh, bacterial or viral epidemic came our way. But that's how prevalent it is and how important it is that we pay attention to it. Now, as you've taken a look at this issue, you also take a look at relationships that may be failing. Uh, and, and in your work, you have 
put together some case studies. It would be interesting if you can share some of what you found. Talk about the people who, who are struggling with loneliness. Sure. Uh, there, there are two principal books I've uh, written on this topic because there are two roads to loneliness. Four Seasons of Loneliness is about isolated people, people who live alone and don't have connections in their lives. So obviously they're vulnerable to becoming chronically lonely, but they only make up about half of the chronically lonely population. The other half is people who are surrounded by others but have no viable, powerful connections that bring them calm and, uh, and, um, and nurturing. And uh, one story, and what I do is I write those two books, uh, Four Seasons of Loneliness and Surrounded by Others and Yet So Alone, in story format. So I take law cases that, that make stories that are good stories on their own, but tell the big picture of loneliness. And one I would mention, given the sort of concentration on senior citizens in this show, is in Four Seasons of Loneliness, I had a a client who just needed a a will and trust, but then it turned out he wanted me to serve as trustee of a very special trust. He was a senior professor at Harvard. He had never married or had any children, and he inherited money from an uncle, and he wanted to set up a, a, a grant circumstance so that people studying the history of love was his field wow. would have a, a, an ability to get some grant money. But what was most interesting about the case was as much as he related to and identified with those of us helping him in the project, in the end, on his deathbed, he was an extremely lonely person because oh. he had no one, no family, no long-term linkage in his life. And it's those are hard to replace with current relationships that you make, even over such an exciting project. As you listen to what you're saying, I'm thinking very much of what was going on in the life of many of the other people you write about. Was that, uh, was that professor uh, one of yours at Harvard? No, he wasn't a law professor. He was a friend of a, he was a history professor. It was a law professor friend of mine who said, recommended me to this gentleman for some law work. Wow. All right, stay with us just a minute. We're going to come right back to you. I'm Ron Aaron. You're listening to Caregiver SOS On Air. J.W. Freiberg, our very special guest, is with us, author of his latest book, Surrounded by Others, and Yet So Alone. You may be experiencing anxiety or stress regarding all the news about COVID-19 or what is commonly referred to as coronavirus. You are not alone. Optum is opening its emotional support helpline, providing access to specially trained mental health specialists. This is a toll-free number, and it will be open 24 hours a day, seven days a week for as long as necessary. This is a free service. Anyone in need of emotional support is welcome to call. The number is 866-342-6892. That's 866-342-6892. One more time, 866-342-6892. We are so pleased you are with us today on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron. After several weeks of her being off on special assignments for WellMed Medical Management and for the WellMed Charitable Foundation, Carol Zerniel is with us again as co-host, and we're using new technology that is 
new to us, new to the radio station. And uh, for a moment there, we thought, Carol, that we had lost you somewhere in the electronics of the world. But you are there. I am still here. And, you know, this is one of the great things about this uh, time period is that we're getting to experience almost like live television in its infancy. You never know what's going to happen. In fact, the interesting thing is I've been interviewing uh, from time to time on WellMed Radio, uh, the other show that we do, uh, physicians who are now getting deeper and deeper into telemedicine. They've had the technology, but they have not really tried to use it until now, and now they embrace it. Well, and it's great that the rules have changed. I think the flexibility that we have is another um, really big bonus of this period. That's interesting. And we have with us on our Caregiver SOS on our hotline, he's very patient, putting up with our jiggling and juggling with new technology, uh, Terry Freiberg. And thank you for being so understanding. What a pleasure it is to speak with you and your listeners. And, and the story that you just shared is so sad uh, about the uh, Harvard professor where you got your law degree, uh, who uh, forms a very small foundation giving money to uh, those who are embracing the study of love, uh, a man who uh, embraced the world and then dies all alone and lonely. And from apparently what, what you've discovered, uh, that's not unusual. It's not, and I think it's really interesting to look at at the position of our senior citizens in historical context. Just think, all of our great-grandparents or double-great-grandparents, all of us, they lived in community settings, no matter which country or continent they were from, small settings where everybody knew everybody. There was sort of no room, no social space within which to grow lonely. Then came the uh, Industrial Revolution, one thing or another. Uh, communities became little cities, and there were multi-generational families for 150 years or so. Those are all gone, Just even in China, for example, which maintained them right through World War II. And then we got the Ozzy and Harriet, the atomic family, the husband and wife. Okay, I understand that, but what's interesting now, check out this statistic, 28%, and this is in 2018, so it's going to be a little bit more, 28% of adult households in in the United States are single-person households. People live alone. We're divided off from one another structurally, especially from our senior citizens. So the people, so many families are suffering the financial disaster of, of trying to help their parents, their aged parents with, with uh, care homes and, and their small children with daycare. In the traditional world, for the probably entire history of the human race, it was the grandparents who took care of the little kids so the younger and healthier people could go out and figure out how to make a living. You know, Carol, you and I have talked about, while well, well, the, the emphasis has been for almost forever, aging in place, the downside is that often means aging in place all alone. Well, and that's one of the unintended consequences on the push to be independent. So when people talk about maintaining independence, you know, I look for other words like interdependence, and I challenge agencies to think about the policies that they are promoting that can lead to isolation. And what kind of policies? 
Well, I, you know, we don't want people uh, in nursing homes that don't need to be in nursing homes, but we also don't have programs that foster community. So, yes, live in your own home, but that home is in a community. And what bridges have we built to keep that home from becoming a very lonely place? Well, Terry, share with us another couple of examples, and then I want to take a look at uh, some suggestions uh, that you may have on uh, trying to combat loneliness. Talk to us about some of the people you've written about. Some of the people are from the opposite um, continuum of life and are very young. I had a, uh, a eight-year-old cancer patient at um, Children's Hospital in Boston who was who just kept telling his doctor he needed to hire a lawyer. And, and the doctor was a friend of mine. Finally, he said, please come over and talk to this kid. I have no idea what he's talking about. When I got there, the little fellow said to me, that he needed a lawyer because he couldn't figure out why his parents couldn't clear their pathways to really make him feel their love. The, wow. the mother, the mother is a mayor of a of a of a small town outside of Boston. The father was um, a very wealthy, successful um, investment guy, but neither of them had the clearness of lines the, the, to really connect with their cute little son who was so ill and needed their affection and love, and they just couldn't get through. So our relationships don't always work so well, and there are techniques and ideas about how to work on it. And they're important for seniors in the settings that Carol's been talking about, but it turns out they're also important for kids. Here's one last shocking statistic for you. The the loneliest quintile of our population it's not the senior citizens. It's Gen Z, Generation Z and the millennials. They actually score the loneliness. So we are, we are producing a, a, a percentage of loneliness among our populations that has nothing to do with the past. It's new to the current era, and it isn't particularly American. The same problem is found in the U.K. and in Europe. In the U.K., for example, the last prime minister appointed a minister for loneliness to actually deal with the problem. And why is it that millennials are feeling lonely? There are a lot of them out there. There are, and they're constantly connected on their iPhones, as all of us who are parents know. But that doesn't mean that they're connecting in a way that they feel nurtured and and soothed and kept safe by their relationships. Well, I think that that's a good point on the the part about soothing because there's so much competition online. You know, do you look as good online in terms of of how many people follow you or how many different people you interact with? And it it, it puts a different layer on the relationship, and it's that's visible to everybody else who's interacting online. Exactly, and and online we humans and. Other mammals as well um, do a thing called mirroring. We, we understand, we have empathy. We understand that the other party we're looking at has his or her own mind, own heart, own intentions and feelings. And we read that, uh, not just through words they tell us, but through their body language and their facial expressions. And all of that is gone if you're just texting back and forth. So how do other animals use that kind of mirroring, do you know? Yeah, well, I'm no expert on, on other animals, but um, I see it. For example, we've all come upon feral animals, wild animals, say a deer, that your car divides a single deer off from the rest of his group or herd that he'd like to get back to, and you can see the fear in his eyes, the startled reaction, right. because he feels uh, 
uh, distanced from what keeps him safe, which is his linkage to his group. And humans are just like that. It, it, the greatest and most basic source of psychological health, at least in my view, is a set of successful relationships that make you feel cared for, soothed, nurtured, and safe. And as you take a look at all these lonely people in, in every age group, what are some of your suggestions to bring folks back out of the darkness? Well, there are three steps that I like to talk about. One is relational due diligence, where you take a good look at what's going on in your relationships. And there's some very interesting tools to do that with, some questionnaires that help you see whether your relationships are actually what you think they are. Then once, if you discover that some of your relationships are stressed or strained or outdated or dusty with disuse, then there's relational repair, things you can be doing. For example, during these weeks and weeks of being shut in, one of the things we can all do is telephone those cousins of yours who you haven't seen and childhood friends, college friends, town friends from another era in your life. So repair your relationships just like your car or anything else in your house, maintenance is required. And thirdly, create new relations. Not easy to do in the COVID-19 world, but this too will pass and we'll be free to go out again. And to dare to reach out and make new linkages, because of course we all lose relationships as time goes on. Now, a friend of mine, go ahead, Carol. I'm sorry, I was going to say, do you think there's an opportunity, the slower pace of covid are, are we learning, you know, we're spending time with, some of us are spending a lot of time with family members that we're sheltering in place with. But do you think that there will be a recognition of the slower pace of this time with family that will carry forward and perhaps even help us? My guess is you're, right. you're absolutely right. I think as awful as this is in every way that we can all list out, there are also lessons to learn, including the one you described so well there. As you take a look at uh, all of the changes that are coming about, including ways in which uh, we shop, ways in which uh, we deal with people on the street, ways in which we even go pump a gallon of gas, uh, how adaptable uh, is the human species to these changes? Well, I don't think human strength comes from individuation, from being alone. I think we are herd animals. We've all seen that in the discussion of the potential immunity we'll develop over time. But I think that's actually who we are psychologically. We need each other because loneliness, which is what happens when we don't have enough of each other, when we, when we become sensitive to our distance from others that we want to be linked with, is is so biting and so negative that I think um, that we will be learning and growing uh, um, in terms of what what this has to show us about the importance of getting back out there once it's safe to meet and greet people. Now, in addition to your writing, you're still working as a, a psychologist and a lawyer? Yes. It's an interesting combination. Well, it, was, it came about by chance, I can assure you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I, I happen to be a lawyer, but I don't practice. But I know many lawyers who will uh, say to me a lot of what they really do is psychological social work. 
Oh, yeah. There is no question about it. When, when you form a linkage, because it's a form of a connection that you have, you sort of become someone's soldier for their issue and try to help them out, whether it's selling a house or, or any other legal task. And so you form a team during the interim period of the work together. And it's a, it's a, a very rewarding relationship. How lonely have you been? I've been pretty lucky. I think we're all lonely from time to time. After all, we lose a lot of people in our lives. When we're in our 20s, say, 30s, we lose our grandparents. When we're in our 50s or so, we lose our parents, our uncles, our aunts. We live in a very mobile society where all of a sudden your best friend gets a new job in Seattle and moves halfway across the country from you or something. Um, and as we get older, people we know pass away. So we all are lonely to some extent because there's a lot of loss of relationships, just part of being alive. But that's different from being chronically lonely, just like being sad is very different from being clinically depressed. See, it's interesting, Carol, because the many, many shows that we have done, uh, the one thing we have emphasized over and over again is don't isolate. And now we're telling people, isolate. That's right. And I even wrote about how the one thing we said don't do is the one thing you have to do. Um, and so then you have to have strategies to counteract that isolation, which is exactly um, what Terry's talking about, deliberately reaching out being that person who makes the phone calls to others. You know, you can be proactive uh, as opposed to reactive when it comes to seeking human interaction. Terry, we are flat out of time for folks who want to get hold of your latest book. How do they do that? Um, it's easy to find on Amazon. Amazon Books, and then my name, J.W. Freiberg, which is F-R-E-I-B-E-R-G, or my website called thelonelinessbooks.com. Terry, thanks. Enjoyed talking to you. Thank you both. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. We're delighted to have you on board. Caregiver SOS On Air will catch you next time right here on 930 AM, The Answer. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, an exclusive presentation of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. We welcome emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. Join co-hosts Carol Zerniel and Ron Aaron next week for more on caregiving, improving the health and well-being of caregivers and their care recipients everywhere. For more on caregiving and podcasts of our programs, visit caregiversos.org.